to Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Welcome to Breaking Down Bits. I'm Brian Gendron. What's up? I'm Drew Jordan, and we're back. A very special episode this time, our very first returning guest to Breaking Down Bits is for a very special reason. We'll get into that in one second. But first, uh, let's do some quick callbacks to the last episode with Alex English. Yes, of course, you can find all of our episodes on BreakingDownBits.com, including this one with Alex. Uh, I thought it was a great interview. Uh, One of the things that he talked about was go out and live life uh, it stuck with me. It was get married, get divorced, see a prostitute. I think that was the order, the order that he said. But basically, the, the message was uh, don't just go out to mics every night. Then you're not living enough life. You're not getting enough input to come out with new material. And that was a good reminder to go out and have experiences. Don't just get stuck in the monotonous world of you know hitting mics. It's important you do that, but you need to go out and live life as well. About you, yeah, I think your input output has to be have a balance. I love that. I also love just the reminder of his big um, writing technique kind of thing was listen back to your to your old performances, not just the good ones, the good ones and the bad ones. And if you give it a, just enough time, you can listen completely. Um, uh, what's the opposite of objectively objective mm-hmm. uh, and you can listen and give tags to yourself as if you're listening to another comic and you might want to listen back to the things that went well, but also don't forget to listen to the bad sets and pick out the things that caused them to go wrong and not do those again. So well, as is one of those basic things, but it is, uh, I think super valuable. It's just one of the basics that you really have to do to punch up your own writing. Love it. That's perfect, man. So yeah, find that episode, breakingdownbits.com. Find all the episodes there. And then of course, hit us up on social media at Breaking Down Bits on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter is at Breaking Down Bit. But Just one. Uh, that's where you get us. I think, uh, oh, Comedy Festival down here in Houston. If you have not yet submitted, we have a national comedy contest, giving away 2,500 bucks, get to perform in front of hundreds of people and comedy industry that's in March. Go ahead and submit your entries, riotcomedyfestival.com. All right, now we can bring in our guest. You ready? Let's do it. Sarah Talamash is a New York stand-up comedian, actor, and writer. She's performed on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, The Late Late Show with James Corden, Comedy Central's Roast Battle, Gotham Comedy Live, and many more. Sarah stars in the new movie Fourth of July, and her short Sleepover Mom was accepted into the Just for Laughs Eat My Shorts Film Festival. Her special Voluptuous Boy is now available on YouTube, and she's also the co-host of the popular weekly podcast Lady Journey. Sarah Thomas, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming back. A lot of things have been going on in your world. And so we felt like it was a a perfect chance to kind of check back in on uh, some stand-up stuff, some movie things happening, some sh- some film festival stuff. We have so much to get into. Yeah. Uh, it's always weird. We were like, I feel like I'm not doing anything. And then you do the credits. I'm like, oh, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> You've been stuff. <laughs> yeah. You've got a lot of big things. I guess maybe 
Uh, we can start with the stand-up stuff, even though there's some super big news that we want to get to. Uh, yeah. this is your, we'll, we'll hook the listeners with, hey, more. Um, <laughs> but uh, one thing we wanted to jump into is like you released Voluptuous Baby a couple uh, years ago uh, now. Voluptuous Oh, boy. sorry. Voluptuous <laughs> That's all right. Baby. <laughs> I love baby chubby babies. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> Voluptuous boy. Sorry. A couple years ago. And Brian and I were just talking about like, what's that process feel like to, to rebuild, you know, all, new material after releasing uh, a voluptuous baby boy into the world? <laughs> um, I get, I, well, it's hard. And then, uh, you know, COVID happened right after. And then a lot of my tip material was COVID. And then now that we're kind of coming out of it and, you know, life has changed a little bit and going back to normal, I feel like I've had to scrap a lot of it. And also just like as time goes by, everyone kind of has been doing the same COVID material. So, you know, I probably had to take out about 10 minutes of my set. So now I'm back to um, not square one, but like I still have a, a little while to go. I probably have 15 more minutes that I'd like to add to my set before I record. Nice. Well, it sounds like you're making some pretty quick work there. Um, yeah. And you just, I mean, yeah, it is a weird thing. Like COVID, it almost feels like now it's too far removed to do any COVID jokes. Like, do you, are they just completely out of your set at this point? Yeah, some of them I can actually like transfer over to maybe like depression. Mm. <laughs> it, you know what I mean? Like what you do during depression, because I feel like uh. there was a lot of stuff that kind of correlated with that. So there's that. But like, I don't know, just like the general observations about COVID and quarantining now just seem quarantining feels so long ago or dated as material and then COVID and vaccinations, it's just like, I just feel like I've heard every bit and nothing seems original to me. So then those have been kind of like scrapped. Yeah. Does it feel like since since you've had a long career in comedy, you've seen things kind of change and shift over over that career? So now with the Internet so active you know, and, and all these joke writers who aren't comics are just like blasting stuff and stuff's going viral. It feels like sometimes it can be a battle to come up with an original take before everyone has seen that joke on the internet. Yeah. I, I don't know how to feel about it. I feel like it's kind of changing art a little bit that we're catering our sets to the algorithm. And I think that's good career wise in one aspect to, um, generate a fan base but i also feel like it it's also can be bad if you're just catering your act to like what hits on an algorithm by doing zeitgeisty material so i think you kind of have to find a balance with both but yeah every time i open instagram i'm just like Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just tired i or i just want to hear like I like personal anecdotes or like mm. a personal take rather than somebody's hot take on whatever's happening right now. And usually it's pretty dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think that one thing that stand up comics and good storytellers and good comics can bring is that personal touch where the, the meme is never going 
to really have that personal touch. The, the Twitter posts from the random accounts can't really have that. There's like, I feel like there's a couple of personalities that you hear from on the internet. There's like the introvert that's always whining about being an introvert. You know, there's a yeah. few like kind of base personalities out there, but on stage we can bring that very differently. Yeah, that's why I, I don't know. So, I mean, I do put out some of the bits on a, online that I'm like, I know this all this is kind of relevant right now. So I'm going to post that up. But a lot of more of the personal stuff I'd rather just like keep for the show. Oh, do you do you have like, is that how kind of your strategy for like, because you create a lot of content, you got to choose where to put and what to put out. Yeah, I, I, well, like, I don't want to put out, I can't, also, I can't just like sit at home and edit video all day long. I got to write and I got to go to shows. Like I spent all day editing and I'm like, I can't believe I just got into stand up comedy to just edit video, which <laughs> I do enjoy, but it is really funny now that we're like, we have to be content creators. And like, I don't have the financial means to just pay somebody else to do that for me the whole time. So it, it really cuts into a lot of my time where I'd rather be working on a set on stage and then also of like i don't want to put all my material out and then when i go to a show people heard all of the jokes yeah that's a, yeah. it's a weird balance i've i've found that and i'm not sure if this is true for everyone but for my tiktok and the stuff that i put online the crowd work bits seem to be the ones that get the most attention and they're not burning any material so i've been kind of leaning in that direction lately Abs absolutely and then I, you know, like whenever I have to do crowd work, though, it's usually I'm eating it. <laughs> so now when I'm watching all these comics put up crowd work stuff, I'm like, are we all eating it everywhere? <laughs> like what's going on? It's just really I don't know. It's fascinating. I, I do agree. Like I try to find anytime I have a moment that's good, that's off the cuff. That's the stuff that I try to put online rather than um just or like putting a bit out before it's ready like that i'd rather work it out for a few months and then put it out i mean there's stuff yeah. on my special that i was like god i wish i you know before i put that out like i could have developed it a little bit more yeah, and I think that's the way it goes. You put as soon as you put a joke out, you like write the best tag ever, and you're like, "Well, it's out there now, and it's in the old form." And but that's that's also, I guess, a benefit too, because now when they come see you live, if they happen to to be a fan and they follow all your social, they're going to get a new tag and they're going to get surprised by a joke that they thought they knew. Maybe I don't know. Oh yeah, I always say I write a joke, tag it three years later. That's my process. <laughs> <laughs> you need that on a poster above your yeah. wall. Yeah, <laughs> that's do you go the back, case. Do you go back and farm through your old material pretty commonly? I do. I inadvertently end up dropping bits that I kind of forget about, or I feel like I bailed on an idea that I actually think is pretty funny to me. So then I, um, I have a lot of material over the years that was a idea that I threw out years ago and then didn't do anything with it. And then when I'm desperate for material, I kind of look for mm. those kind of bits and those end up actually sometimes being the most fun jokes yeah. to do actually. I also like the idea that you talked about earlier, which is you had all these COVID jokes and now you can just recategorize them. So you never know how you can go back and find old material and find new context for it based on what's going on in the world. Absolutely. I don't know. Sometimes, uh, You'll just find figure out a new angle over something 
um, that's different or a different take than what you originally um, thought of. Yeah, I keep hoping that I'm a better comedian than I was when I first wrote that. I'm going to magically like just look at it and go, aha, I know what to do with this premise. Dude, every every time I go up or like an open mic, I did one a, a few weeks ago or last week at the Grove here in Astoria. And I always just put up a bit and then hope for some divine intervention while I'm on stage that I, the punchline will come to me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, sometimes it does, or you talk it out, but you know, that's how I get bits. Like, I just go back and revisit a premise, throw it out on stage, and see what happens again, where the laugh happens, and then maybe like figure it out yeah. from there. I feel like that when I was performing, since I, if you're following along, I just moved to New York from Houston. So, uh, when I was in Houston performing at the riot with Brian, very comfortable stage for me to be on. I could riff, I could be a little more loose, but now that I'm in New York, there's a lot of weird pressure for being like the, the, the new standup, the, the another, the other new <laughs> brand new, uh, New York standup guy. And it's, I have yet to feel uh, comfortable yet, you know, like in these new rooms, new spaces, surrounded by new people. And so riffing and kind of just like that comfort is not, I have not found that yet in, in a new city yet. So I'm hopefully at some point that will come around. I just say go for it. No one's really paying attention, honestly. <laughs> yeah, you're in your own head, dude. Don't. I, I, I know everybody's like, like thinking about their own set before they go up. And then like also... I, that's where New York, I think, is I, I don't want to speak for L.A., but I actually feel like you can kind of just bomb and figure it out and it's not going to ruin your career. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, there's so many shows and so many people. And you're right. At the end of the day, no one probably even remembers any of the jokes I told because they were looking at their notes and texting people during my set anyway. I Because I always get people like compliment on or not always but i'm just like when somebody compliments a lot of the times they're like oh i love that new bit and you're like that bit's like three years old <laughs> and i feel like i've done it in front of you 10 million times <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man it's definitely a new world here um and i'm excited I, to to dig into it no i had the same feeling i i'm like that too like i only feel comfortable if i've been going up at a place for about a year that I feel like, okay, my foot's in the door and I think they know me and my sensibilities that I can get away with working out stuff. Yeah, there's something about knowing the people in the room and something weird about knowing the room. I don't understand that. It's like some sort of haunted house premise, but yeah. it's like when you know the ghosts in the attic, you're comfortable at the riot in, in Houston or whatever. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely like that for sure. It's you also get that... Sense. You get that pressure too. You don't want to just keep doing the same bits for the same wait staff and bar bartenders. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. I get that way when I'm at the cellar. Cause I, I always feel like I have to run a tighter ship there. So I kind of stick to the stuff that I know really works. But then a lot of the times that's material that I've been just doing over and over there that I'm just so like, especially at the village underground when the red is at the piano and you're like, Oh my God, <laughs> he's going to hear it again. He's going to, hear it again and i like it gets so in my head about it but you know he does laugh again when you're like red why are you laughing you heard this like 10 million times <laughs> he's he plays along really well you would yeah, never yeah. know <laughs> i appreciate it 
<laughs> Shout. Well, maybe we get him on the podcast. And yeah. He, can, <laughs> he probably has an interesting insight to comedy. Oh, absolutely. Um, moving on from standup, I know one thing we obviously wanted to get into um, as comics. You mentioned it uh, on the on the start of the podcast that we are comics are now content creators. We're editing our own video. You're doing a great job of this doing, uh, obviously we all do clips of standup, but you're also like taking a different, uh, I wouldn't even say, I guess it's technically sketch, but you've taken a, a fun, creative kind of, uh, you know, one of your most recent ones was almost like a funny M night Shyamalan twist with the doll. With oh, the, yeah. It's like, you, you're being very creative. What, how's that going? What's that process look like? What it, have you seen? Um, some growth or success or, or what's dry and what's driving that for you to create that uh, at this point in your career? Uh, well, I, I did sketch writing a lot uh, through UCB. I was on their like mod house teams. Um, oh. And so I learned a lot about like writing sketch. And then during pandemic or quarantine, I was like, I, we can't really go out. So I should figure out a way to work on my social media numbers. And uh, so I had the means and the time to do this stuff. So I would figure out what I could film here, mm -hmm. um, in my apartment and then unemployment kicked in. So now I was able to like pay some people <laughs> to do more professional looking stuff for me. Um, so, and that helped a whole bunch, not having a day job helped a whole bunch creating that content. But I also just got tired of like writing packets and doing, I would write, I remember the last straw for me, I was on this like house team that was trying to write a show for the UCB theater kind of right before it closed. And we put in a full year and it was first stage and the creative director and no harm on him. He It's his integrity. And I really do trust his choice. Like he is a very great um, comedic actor that I've worked with for years, but he passed on it. And I was just like, just so annoyed to spend a year of meeting up weekly and then write. And it was writing for hours a week and the meetups and like, you know, kind of coming home early from the holidays to work on all this stuff. And it was so frustrating mm. and none of it, it just didn't pan out. And I was like, there's actually a lot of great content here. And so I just started getting in the mindset of I'd rather just put my own shit out. Even if it eats a dick, I'd rather <laughs> get better in the process than trying to be perfect at something. Oh, I, I struggle with that so deeply that I, there's so many things that I've planned to do, but because I know they're kind of going to suck the first time I do them, I, you put it off and you put it off. And that's why there hasn't been a new to Drew episode in like <laughs> months and months and months, because I'm like, I have such high standards for what I like for things to be and how well, and I know that I'm, I still have some skills to grow before I can do what I wish, you know? And it, it just paralyzes me sometimes. Absolutely. And I'm tr I try to push through those feelings. And I there's like a, a, a thing that I read online recently and that's really stuck with me. There was an art class uh, 
of where the teacher divided the students, half of them would have to make pottery every day for the whole semester. And then the other half spent all semester planning to do the best vase or vase, however you want to say it. And the ones that worked on it every day and made a vase every day had a better product at the end of the semester than the ones that uh, just tr- planned on doing one at mm. the end of it. That's interesting. I love that adage. I think I was thinking while you guys were talking too. like, look, you can put out your first version and call it a first draft and probably nobody sees it. And if, if you really believe in that project, when you have the means, when you have the time, when you have the resources, go back out and redo it for real. You know, you, there's nothing stopping you from doing that either. No, I did this like the sleepover mom one. It was a sketch on stage originally. And then um, I've always like that one. I was like, I always want to do it. And then I finally had access to kids. (laughs) 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 Getting somebody to let you use your kid and and you be a stranger is like so difficult. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like there's no trust and I get it. Well, like why would you want us letting me use your kid for half a day yeah. at my apartment? Like there's I get a it. Blooper reel at the end where the kid's like, Oh, she's confessing to a murder. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to have like friends. I had to be in the like back in Texas in order to do that sketch. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's stuff like that. But yeah, I'm just like Woody Allen makes a movie once a year. Um, I know he's not the great example personally, (laughs) but like I do admire that kind of artist. I think it's better to make uh, more instead of focus on quality. And then inadvertently you, when you're working on that thing, you will like get focused. It's just like natural instinct to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing with the vase is the perfect, perfect example because yeah, I mean, that's why we do stand up. That's why you do open mics every night. That's why you, you try to continually perform because you know that every time you go up, hopefully you're a little bit better than you were before. Absolutely. And you will. It's also your intent. Like you also have to have good and like intent, right. like show what? up mentally for it. Yeah, I think I was watching this video the other day and he was talking about how like, you know, if you want to become a YouTuber, some of the common um, advice is you have to make 100 bad videos and then you can blow up. And while that is kind of true, you have to every video has to be getting better. You can't just make terrible video, learn nothing, make terrible video, learn nothing. But if you make 100 videos, you can't help but hopefully learn something each time and get better by the hundredth video. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the times that I get more upset with the most upset with myself is when I go on stage and I didn't work a new tag, throw out a new bit. Cause then at that point I'm like, what's the point? Yeah. I, I, I Then you're just going into AutoZone. Like I do feel like <laughs> it, just challenge yourself one, just throw out one tag or work out one stupid little joke. Even if it eats it, it's fine. Just go back into your tried and true. But like that way, each set that you do has um, intent and that there's a purpose to it. I think I think yeah. with the video, Drew, you you sort of inadvertently learn new efficiencies. Like you, if nothing else, you'll get faster at doing all of the things just because you get more proficient at it. Yeah, you can make crappy videos faster than ever. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, when I do caption videos, every now and then I do from other stand-ups, and they're 
it's sometimes you're just like, they have no idea how easy it is when you learn how to, you know, all the tricks, the, t- the keyboard shortcuts and all that stuff. True. And there is countless YouTube how to DIY videos out there. You can learn all this shit. Yeah. That, and that's fun for me. Like I, anytime if I'm adding something and I want to do something specific in a video, like I really do get enjoyment trying to find the tutorial on it online. And then like, it's so easy. Yeah. I mean, you know like, it. yeah, I'm a nerd for photo and video and I have like probably a dozen accounts for these creators who put out tutorials and so whenever I have some downtime, I'm just flipping through those, seeing what they have, you know, done a tutorial on some little tip or trick. A lot of times they don't mean much to me. And then sometimes there's one I go, oh, that's I'm going to remember that. And and it just like changes the way that you edit moving forward or, for, or photos, video, whatever. There's people out there who are freely giving this advice on YouTube. I mean, I don't even know why people go to school anymore. Like you can, <laughs> you can learn most trades online. Like it's insane. That's true. I'm, I'm, I've been telling my kids that so not to pay for their college. I'm like, what, what, are, we even do, what are we even doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I do agree with that. I get really upset with the college system. I'm like, it's a scam. It, it feels like it more than ever these days. That's for sure. Also, wouldn't you want somebody that um, on their own volition goes and looks up their own information? Isn't it worse hanging out with somebody that never Googles anything? (laughs) They're the worst people. Let me Google that for you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I I do want to take some time to talk about um, Fourth of July, which was an absolutely uh, amazing film. Uh, I had the crazy... Uh, amazing pleasure of moving to New York and like three days later got to go watch the premiere. Um, and it was, it was so fun. Um, you, you and Joe acting together, Louis CK directing and acting in it. What, how, how was that? What was that process like? And I mean, at this point you've done a fair amount of acting. So was, was this like one of the, the bigger films that you've been a part of, or has there been other ones that were like, really more intense than this um i think this one was the the bigger uh as in like more people have seen it but i i've done a film that i had to do a lot more memorization in the past and that was more challenging um but this one was challenging in a different way because i actually had to hit an emotion that's actually pretty I think hard and I didn't even know if I could do it or not. So I was kind of like the day that it, I was able to do it, that I was like this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it would have been fine. That's the thing that you learn with at like acting or like all this film stuff. I feel like as an actor, like, don't worry about it. They'll always make you look better in editing. That's true. And, and that movie does have a very interesting emotional through line through it. It's very kind of tense and on edge. And, uh, and I, I thought it was very relatable for me and, and, you know, the whole movie is kind of going back home and seeing your family and confronting that they're a little, little off, uh, in your, in your estimation. And I was like, I feel this. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I always say, uh, your family is holding you back. (laughs) (laughs) Not intentionally. I think most times their hearts in the right place, but man, I just feel like if you really want to like 
blossom, move away from your family for a while. Mm. You know, I mean, I'm sure there, I forget who has the bit. Probably most people have it, but something about how like I went to therapy and found out my family was the problem. And it just, yeah. it's, it's true. There's so many interesting ties. And I think that's why this movie is gonna resonate with so many people because it's such a deep truth that we've all struggled with to some degree. Oh, absolutely. I felt like that family was very relatable in there. A trope, particularly for that uh, northeastern region. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I'm from. That's, that's my people. Yeah. That's a lot of, uh, you think you're better than me? <laughs> <laughs> Were great, you, great, great mindset. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the, any of the writing process of that or was involved in any of the writing process when Joe and, and Louie were working on the, on the film? Um, I didn't really get to see it because I... Uh, they would go off. They, they never came here at the apartment to do it. Very separate. When I think for Joe and I, we actually keep each other quite separate from the process. I'm I don't like showing anybody the process because you get mm-hmm. a lot of external opinions that are such a bummer. And like, mm-hmm. I think hinder that I feel like it's better to like just do the finished product. And then I don't know get it from there or like see you can figure out what works or what doesn't work by response when you watch it with people. So I had nothing to do at all with uh, the writing process. But then when we did a few, Joe and I did a few reads together with Louie just to get notes on how the performance should be that way that you're, when you're showing up to set, it's not like a completely like, you're, you're doing accents and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no like surprises. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No wild card showing up to the set. Um, and that, that was like some directors I've heard this with the Coen brothers want you to stay very close to the script. In fact, like very precise to it. Cause they have certain jokes where this one was more, character driven or based and so it was as long as you hit the points and what the subject of the scene was um then that was fine so that kind of takes off a little bit of the pressure of like memorizing because it's hard to like memorize and also get the emotional part at the same time but you got to memorize then everything else is like second nature they always say like memorize and then you forget about it. Oh. Yeah. So when you do it, it's like second nature. So, yeah. Um, so uh, a lot of the stuff that we were doing was all along the lines of the script, but you could go a little bit different. So there was like no pressure. I I feel like in a Coen brother movie, I'd be like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to be in that um in that world hopefully so cast me listening i uh i love that idea or the uh, talking about how early you let someone into your creative process because you know um i i know now um just three weeks in my girlfriend is sick and tired of hearing my stupid joke it's ideas. exhausting i don't miss seeing i don't miss seeing you every day drew it's exhausting. <laughs> i always have some dumb idea i'm trying to pitch to people and um uh, it's because i just want some validation that someone's gonna think it's funny before i take it on stage and look like a stupid person 
Um, but I think some like people's advice is wrong so often. Like so many bits that I would tell someone like, Hey, I think this is funny. And they're like, that's not funny. And then I do it on stage. You get a laugh. And I was like, Oh, sometimes you just have to do your own thing. I guess you just have to like trust that you have something. Absolutely. Cause I just, I don't know. It's not like people do it on purpose, but they really can sabotage your ideas. Like it's like they, they bring in their, you. They, yeah. And it's not really mm. helping. You're like, that's not what this thing is about. Um, it's more like maybe asking me questions about the bit to expand it rather than being mm. like, oh, I don't know. I think somebody else has done that. And then you're just like, <laughs> all right, fuck off. <laughs> it's yeah. so annoying. So I just say like, I like keep that stuff personal. Also, people kind of and inadvertently put in their point of view, and it, you're not worth. Mm. It's not about them; it's about you. So you, I say you got to let those bits fail on your own on stage. Yeah, yeah. They, they motivate it. Like your family, for example, might want to protect you. You know, if you, if you run it by your mom or something stupid like that, or your your peers might want to be like, "I told you so." You know, like they're, they're, those are their motives, and so it doesn't help. I know it, it just. It ruins it. I just learned early on. Don't even tell me your pitch ideas. It's just awful. <laughs> and it's also it's always the wrong scenario, the wrong place to to like pitch a joke. Like jokes are kind of meant for spontan spontaneous moments or stage or whatever. And when you're just sitting around with someone, you're like, oh, I got this joke idea. You want to hear it? Yeah. You know, I found like sneaky ways to try to trick my girlfriend into hearing one of my bits. I'd be like, oh, uh, did I tell you your mom called? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Today? And she said, have you ever thought? <laughs> and like, I try to like sneak in the bits. And um, absolutely. <laughs> well, that's where I, I think Twitter is helpful. That's where I would just throw shit to the wall was on Twitter. Yeah. And get a gauge from there. That's true. That's true. Um, just, yeah, just trying to get some sort of feedback before you take it to stage is nice, but you're right. Yeah. I think sometimes you just have to take the win or loss and trust that you thought the reason you wrote it, the reason you're putting time into it is maybe because you believe there's something there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, be before we move on, I wanted to, uh, so I'm going to see 4th of July tonight because I haven't seen it yet. I didn't know I was going to be able to. And here you want to know, here, here's how I learned how. Uh, Diane Gallagher. Yes, you I know love Diane. Diane. Yeah. Yes. So, so yeah, it was unfortunate. You just missed it. We had a, uh, a reunion for the last stop. And I, I know. I saw all the photos, although uh, uh, I'm, I don't drink. So those hangs are actually pretty hard when they're partying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they party pretty hard. But uh, but they did a thing at, at the riot. And, uh, and she's like, hey, everybody go see the 4th of July. I didn't even, it didn't even occur That's to really me. That's really sweet. It was going to come to Houston. So I'm going. No, to I miss those guys. And I look fondly on it. And I will be in Houston for a whole month of um, end of August, August 26th through September 26th. So I will spend a lot of time working on sets there. Oh, great. Come by. Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to hang out with like some of the old crew for sure. Yeah. So uh, one, one of the reasons we definitely wanted to bring you back uh, and talk about um, twofold, I guess one talk specifically a little bit about um, sleepover mom and what's going on there. But I think also talk more about, I think there's, a unique opportunity maybe for a lot of comics, as you know, as you mentioned before, we, we have to become content creators. You're, we're all creating sketches and short little things. And you have taken these and started submitting them to film festivals and shorts 
uh, competitions and sleepover mom uh, just got accepted to JFL Eat My Shorts, which is crazy. Yeah, I was shocked because our sketch is short. <laughs> Very short. <laughs> well, like I looked at past participants and I was like, the shortest one was about five to six minutes. And I think ours is at two, three, maybe. Yeah, I think it's like 245 uh, or something like that. So, hey, it's going to be a breath of fresh air. I, if I, She says hey. because I shot and edited it and and Sarah yes. wrote and performed and wrangled the children. <laughs> yes, we did a great job. They were so delightful um, and so good. And they hit their mark. And I felt like they took direction pretty well because that was hard. Not hard, but like to explain to kids how you want because. Yeah, I don't like I think originally they were a little bit overacting and you're like, I just want blank stares like actual kids listening because people I think at that age they and maybe in general, I think about this, too, when I watch actors and then when I was doing Fourth of July of like, how do you listen? Because mm. some people are like in TV shows are like this. that's out of control that's too much because most time you're just like blank staring and so um we had to have them tone it down a bit and they did so good they did so well like get taking that direction and then just delivering their lines really like matter of fact yeah i feel like working with kids uh those kids were much more fun to work with than any other kids i've worked with because most of the time working with kids is just a nightmare um, especially for photo shoots, no child wants to sit no. still and smile. And they, but these kids, like they, um, <laughs> they played along really well. They knew what was going on. Uh, but you have to work in short bursts. You can't expect them to keep trying over and over and over again forever. Yeah. We had to do the, um, basically we're just like, we'll just deliver a few lines of my monologue, get that. And then we'll just do a few signs reaction shots and then that way they can go about because i think we only dealt with them for about 10 to 15 minutes can i throw a little context in there real quick so so this is sarah's project and she wrote and then drew was the uh, film and director and then sarah submitted to this contest and you didn't even let no drew know that you had done that and then and and that you had credited him in that way absolutely it was this really cool moment for 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 breaking down bits to have drew effectively become a part of jfl right when he moved to new york we're like go drew you know so absolutely uh, well i think it's like psychotic to like act like you did it all by yourself i mean as much as one wants to take full credit for everything it's just i think you got to get more people involved and also it's like such a great experience and i think it's a great place for us to meet like I don't know, forge new relationships with other filmmakers, hopefully, or like-minded people. I think that's really what the whole purpose of all this is. Yeah, I'm learning a lot about JFL and what they offer. Um, And you've probably been digging through. Maybe you knew this already, but the JFL Comedy Pro is almost like, it's almost like kind of a comedy convention behind the JFL Comedy Festival. Yeah, I didn't, I haven't done too much research. The website's a little confusing to me. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. There's a lot of like Q and A's with cast and directors and you can meet with certain, they call them power brokers. You can have a one-on-one with a power broker that maybe give you advice on what career stuff, but it's, it's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm looking, I'm going to look into that to see what of those things I could attend and maybe, 
if you even if you don't have something in JFL and you wanted to just uh, attend that, that, you can just buy a ticket to go attend that portion of the festival and learn and, and rub shoulders with other filmmakers and comics and, and actors and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just one big comic hang. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited. I've never even been to Canada before. This is my first trip to Canada, eh? Yeah, uh, Montreal's really great because it feels like another country because it's French. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I realized today, um, you know, I was searching all over because we kind of got our, our details kind of last minute. And I found out that the Airbnb that I booked for Montreal is absolutely in the red light district. That's cool. <laughs> so is that, is that so maybe I'll make some extra money while I'm there. Which absolutely. Nice. Start your OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a sketch part of town, but uh, see you. See you next week, guys. Yeah. So so if you're a comedian and a content creator and you're creating all these short, and a lot of you are, you're creating sketches and short videos and stuff. And there's something that you're really proud of. And it doesn't even have to be that long to to your point. It's less than three minutes long. You can submit it to JFL at your shorts. Uh, We were talking about another one that you're submitting. Yeah. So Dan Perlman, who has Flatbush misdemeanors with Kevin, I always say ISO or ISO. I don't want to mispronounce. I think it's ISO. Yeah, I saw. I'll ask him when I see him next, even though I haven't seen him in a long time. Um, Why did I? I just forgot my train of thought. Oh, Dan Perlman. uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they were told that was like the launching pad. But then he said like JFL was just a great place to watch your short in front of other people. But he said because you get a with that having that credit helped him get into other festivals. So the one that he recommended was slam dance. So I just submitted to that one. And I've heard, like I read the Duplass brothers, Mark Duplass brothers book about filmmaking. And they kind of submitted something that was very similar, very short. It was a, a, a monologue over a phone and it was jump cuts. So it wasn't very like super polished. And they had submitted that to, I think, Slam Dance or the Fringe of Sundance. And from there, that helped them get other stuff. So I feel like you don't have to be as precious as long as the content is good. Yeah, I think it really does come back to like the content. could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah, No, no, no. I think you're right. (laughs) At the end of the day, I think the content is king. Uh, You know, if, if it. If it's a great story that that engages you and makes you lean in, doesn't matter if it was shot on a cinema camera or you know an iPhone. Um, the story is what engages you. Absolutely, because I that was the thing that with Mark Duplass and what I've seen with other people, they're just like go out and film stuff on your iPhone. There's amazing sketches that are probably what you would consider like quite uh, basic in technology, like. I just watched this sketch of it's this guy playing a video game and he gets an Amber alert and it's shot on like an iPhone and the way that it's put together was so something that you, I mean, it was so the acting and then the level of intensity of it was so good that it was impressive, but it was all shot on an iPhone. Yeah. Well, iPhones, like honestly, as someone who's a little bit of a camera nerd, like my iPhone shoots 4k, I think like 24 frames a second um, and it has all the auto Apple genius features in there to keep the lighting and the focus almost perfect all the time with no knowledge necessary. It's, 
if you want to make sketches and you think the camera skill is holding you back, then just do it on your phone. It's perfect. Yeah, I, that's what I would do with a at-home film festival. Sometimes I get kind of lazy where you're like, I don't want to get a lot of people involved in this idea. And I just need to pump it out because I left it at the last minute. And I will shoot on my iPhone. I also, you can get lav mics now that are wireless that connect to Zoom mics. Um, I have a Film Mic Pro is an app that you can use on your iPhone that you can... Um, work with your frame rate you can, frame rate you can do 24 frames per second to make it look like film and so there are there's all these ways to make your stuff look really good and sound good what about so is, oh i was gonna say what about framing your shots like that's another you know a whole other skill in itself right so how how, are, how do you guys how have you, have you just over time getting better at it watching that you like what's some ideas there well that's not a thing that i don't ever put too much effort in because i'm like i only need i, I I feel so self-conscious doing it, especially in public that I'm like, as long as I'm in there. <laughs> I think, I mean, there's some basics, I guess, of like rule of thirds and stuff. So think yeah. about the two lines that kind of come in and it's nice to have focal points there and there. Or at the end of the day though, it's just like, in some ways it's like comedy. There's no rules. Um, the rules are just suggestions that sometimes can help, but I, I don't, I am not some deep cinematographer that knows all the, all the, the basics of how you're supposed to frame things up. But honestly, like nine times out of 10, like getting closer <laughs> is, is just <laughs> make sure you're shooting close so you can see all the emotion and all the, and all the facial expressions. Cause that's where the, that's where the emotion comes from is the face. So shoot that's close a, to people. <laughs> I know, yeah. It is weird because when you edit for TikTok, sometimes you have to zoom in and oddly you're like, why does this look so much better? Yeah. It's weird. It's crazy. But I also feel like doing a long wide shot can be quite funny. Getting observing somebody from afar is a funny shot to do. And then when I was doing Teenage Doll, the guy, um, Tony Akio Cohen, Celluloid Simple, he was telling me for horror films to shoot from a low angle is a real like a good perspective for like horror films. And I didn't really take that in consideration until he said it. And I was like, Oh yeah, I feel like a lot of horror films that I'm sh that I've watched are shot from like low angles, like from a kid's yeah. point of view or something. That's kind of creepy. No, yeah. the, the cinematography on that was super interesting. I love the lighting on that one. It was super creepy and dark and, and mysterious. And I, I, I think that, also adds to the the suspense of being like, wait, I think I see something. What is kind of dark and murky, and that adds something so nice to that one. Yeah, he was impressive. I just I bought lighting kits, a simple lighting kit off of Amazon, and he used that, and we used tin foil, and then he had a few gels, and he knew where to position everything. That watching him made me learn to figure out time of day, where your light source is. Like those are things that I didn't put in consideration beforehand until now i will say lighting probably in shooting my own stuff lighting is the thing that's m almost more important than anything else um audio and lighting as, as long as the camera's on a recording it's probably okay yeah. but if your sound is bad and your light is bad then you might have a problem absolutely but yeah i think that some of the i wonder sometimes if some of the tiktok stuff that i've done um, 
it, it gets some bump because the audio is always clean because I was the audio guy at the club. <laughs> and so yeah. I, I made sure that I had a, a, a drive audio feed from the mic and then also had a mic in the room and that audio quality can't hurt. It, it, it is. It, it, it helps because I'll watch a clip that somebody has and they're just using room sound for, from their phone. And I'm like, oh, it sounds so bad. You can get kind of tired of, of hearing the echo of the, from the back of the room from some yeah. of those clips. And it just makes me not want. Sometimes I catch myself going, I don't want to. I don't care how funny this joke is. I don't want to hear the rest of it because it sounds like trash. Yeah, it's just unappealing. So you can get there are road mics that you can clip on and then you can, can record from your phone or bring a zoom mic and then you mix those in premiere and then it's fine. Yeah. So as, as far as film festivals go, is, is there a website that you go to or do you, are you yes. just Googling? Okay. Well, like there's, uh, eat or from the JFL shorts, they wanted you to submit through filmfreeway.com. And then I'm also working with, um, another film festival, I think called Sugarloaf. It's in upstate New York mm-hmm. and they do it from there and also slam dance. So I would say if you're interested in that world, just sign up on filmfreeway.com and you upload your projects and you fill out all the information and then you get emails being like, oh, your film hits the requirements for this if you're interested. So it's up to you from there. Oh, so you, so you start with up to uploading the project and it tells you which film festivals that you're available for? Yeah, that if you make the requirements for it. Oh, um, that's but you super. Got, yeah, you got to f- put in logline, synopsis, movie posters but i use canva.com yeah yeah that's a that's a great hack if you're if you don't have photoshop canva is really solid and it does so much more now than it used to a few years ago yeah i bought the pro thing that you the little extra a month and it really has been like beneficial for graphics for me yeah you can do motion graphics you can do video you can do all sorts of stuff in canva it's a it's a crazy awesome free uh tool absolutely i say get it Anybody you, interested? You mentioned Premiere, uh, like Creative Cloud Suite. I think with, with tax and expenses, like 56 or 58 a month, you get Premiere and you get uh, Adobe uh, Creative Cloud Express or whatever it is. It's just like Canva. And so you get this whole suite of tools that can help you as a, as a content creator for 60 bucks a month. Yeah. there. I mean, everything now is so attainable. Like you can... If you're if this is something that you want to do, making like short films, like just start doing it and then get better as you get better. I mean, I just watched a Chris. I follow accounts, too, on Instagram of just like filmmakers talking about. And I think Christopher Nolan was like uh, every weekend, write a script and shoot it for two days. And I'm like, oh, my God, who has that time? <laughs> but I try to do one a month. So try to do one a month. I feel like that's an attainable thing to work for yeah i what is there a different do you go through like a different headspace from writing stand-up to writing sketches do you feel like you jump to a different place or do those kind of come do do your sketch ideas come from a stand-up joke that you go oh no no this is better as a sketch um i think i always think more in sketch and then some of it just works on stage or at least as a premise idea, but I always just like write, I, I kind of think I write more in sketch. I like to think of really funny scenarios or weird scenarios and then uh, expand on that or like new ideas about stuff. 
Uh, I don't really think like sometimes they're just feel like high concept that they're too much to do on stage. Like I have one right now that I, not that I want to share something so early in the process, but like I want to do it like a twilight zone where our, the human gestational period is like one minute. <laughs> so, one minute after sex, if you didn't use proper protection, you're like, oh my God, what's happening? A voluptuous that, baby. Yeah, it's a voluptuous baby. It's just like, I don't know if that could, I can, I. it's so hard to bring, get to that point on stage that you're like, it just works better in a world to create yourself. Yeah, you have when you control all of the all of the factors and it, and in the, and the experience of how they watch it, and it's just different sometimes to be like, okay, everyone, close your eyes and imagine you're in a world. <laughs> yeah, it's just like easier to do a sketch and you start right in the middle of it. Like it, you can't really do that on stage, and I get annoyed with comics when their premises are like scientific research in order to get to maybe one punchline that's kind of weak that you're like, oh, great, we had to go through a history lesson <laughs> with no punchlines on the way there. Like, at least punch it up on your premise to get to the punchline. I, I just don't want to yeah. hear, like, a lot of exponential data before I get to a punchline. Right. And if so, maybe that needs to be a short film and not a, not a stand-up joke. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that, that is one of my favorite ways to like, if somebody has a stand a bit they've asked me about and I'm like, well, that's not really that funny, but Hey, it sounds like a really good sketch idea. Or if it's like a too long winded joke. Absolutely. The wonderful thing about filming a sketch or uh, a joke kind of premise idea thing is that you have the ability to go back and chop it up in editing and fix all the slow points. As yes. long as, as long as there's something to work with, you can chop out the slow parts and really slam it. And, and you have a, it's like a whole, it's like your creative process has a second life in editing. Yeah. You can manipulate, manipulate it way better. I think. Yeah, I wish I could go back and in live in real time edit my stand-up performances. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is how it really sounded. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. We're like, wow, I didn't need all those sentences in there. <laughs> <laughs> that was too much information. Yes. Well, let's go ahead and, and land the plane. I uh, I just want to quickly shout out because I you know Fourth of July is still available in theaters. I know I got my tickets through LouisCK.com, so um, that that's your portal to find out where it's playing in a city near you. Yes, uh, you can also go to FourthOfJuly.com and FourthOfJuly.com, and that will direct you right to LouisCK.com. <laughs> 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 I think it's FourthOfJulyMovie.com. That's what I think it is. Yeah. And yeah. then, and then of course, and you already have it there, but at S Tolomash on Instagram and Twitter, uh, anywhere else, any, anything else or anywhere else people need to find you or anything else coming up? Um, TikTok or Instagram. That's where I put all the shorts or just actually subscribe to my YouTube. Just, uh, yes. it's, it's just Sarah Tolomash. I just want to get, I just want, that's what I want is my YouTube to be the number one thing. I couldn't agree more. If, if, if someone asked me like, what's the best, what's the best thing that for someone, for a fan or a, a friend to do, like, sure, you can subscribe to the Instagram or, or follow on TikTok, but it, but YouTube is so powerful and it's hands down. I think the most important one for people who do sketch video and comedy to be investing in for sure. And shorts, right? Are you, you guys doing shorts on, on YouTube? Yeah, I do shorts on the YouTube and the, yes. 
those and then all all your stand up videos. Yeah, I just put those on um, shorts. Um, and that's a new world that I just kind of got into that some people are like very benefiting from it immensely. I did a really stupid, not great, not well written joke uh, about Dave Chappelle and the attack that happened. I and it was like, great. <laughs> I mean, it's it was a fine joke, but it just wasn't like it wasn't great. Um, and it got like 10,000 views in a day on on YouTube shorts. And yeah. there was no, and there was no laughs in that video. There was and, no laugh. and the crowd did not like crowd it. That hated night. it. I liked it. It's like the only laugh in it. <laughs> it's Brian chuckling to himself. Yeah. <laughs> was it like the, 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 the guy attacked him with a gun, a knife shaped like a gun. Was yeah. Something? Yeah. Something weird like that. Yeah. I think what was my joke? It was like, he, he attacked him with a knife shaped like a gun. I was like, Oh, worst disguise ever. That's like trying to take weed onto a plane shaped in a, like a bomb. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, and they're like not the funniest line, but like timely, and yeah. Yeah, had a punchline, and put it on YouTube Shorts, and and got several followers and a nice pop. Uh, bigger, that's the biggest, most views I have on anything I've ever done on YouTube, and it was just because it was, I guess, relevant to the moment. I had the hashtags right, maybe, but I feel like it's a it's a great way to. Uh, to share. And if people follow you on YouTube, that can turn into money down the road. If you, yeah, get, you if can you monetize. Yeah. yeah. I think that's just like what's going to happen for most of us is that we're going to make our money from YouTube. I hope so. Yeah. Cause I, you know, like a lot of the streaming, if you think how many comics there are in the world or in the U S it's like annoying. Uh, the percentage of getting a Netflix special is actually very minute. And then they give it to the same people over and over again. So it's even smaller. So yeah. I'm always like, you know, it's a great way for you to be more empowered with your material and not worry about gatekeeping and all that stuff. Yeah. So your, your voluptuous boy is on, on YouTube. You can watch that. And every time you watch it, you are supporting Sarah's career, yeah. helping her get one step closer to making uh, a full-time income from YouTube. Yeah. I'd love that. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for doing the podcast. Thanks for talking so much about uh, video content, the, the film festival stuff, uh, working on in the, in the movies and whatnot, like such, such good content today. So uh, watch, the 4th of July. Um, pray that uh, Sleepover Mom is a is a, just a hit. A runaway success. <laughs> <laughs> well, my goal is to turn it into a feature film. So I'm working uh, on the treatment right now for it. And I want to film it in Kingwood, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's so fitting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Sarah, for joining us. Thank you, everybody, yeah. for listening. Thanks, guys. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website breakingdownbits.com or shoot us an email at breakingdownbits at gmail.com. <laughs>